coming and visiting our church family. Um, there's people on the third row there, I see. There is other people there at the back. and uh, So, very, very warm welcome. Angela's dad is here, all the way from Africa. <laughs> or Wisconsin, or one of those places. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Um, I've been, um, I'm so happy to be back. Uh, this coming week, uh, both Dennis and I will be going to our, uh, uh, our denomination's annual meeting, and I would request you to pray. Um, this is an amazing church body, and a whole group of people will be coming together to discuss crucial issues. So continue to pray that God's Spirit would, uh, would do abundant things every year. One of the joyful things for me is to see new churches added. And um, uh, a lot of new churches that are added are um, churches that are very diverse. Asian American churches, Indian American churches, and, um, and Latino churches, uh, African American churches. That's where... Uh, the Covenant Church has been growing so, so very um, um, fast. In, and, and it's so nice to see new pastors come up, do church planting all over. And uh, it's nice to see uh, um, minority churches, Asian American, uh, Latino churches involved in missions in Africa and Latin America and so on and so forth. So that's one of the joyful things that... Uh, both Dennis and I will, will experience, so I'd request you to continue to, to pray for the church. Um, we also need to be praying for, um, uh, for Brian as he goes uh, into um, that place, that awful place called Los Angeles. I don't know why. You know, Brian wanted to, there's a backstory to this. Is it okay if I tell backstories? I'm good about that, isn't it? So, um, Brian wanted to just go quietly, because that's the way he is. He's a very quiet person. He has served us so quietly, isn't it? And that's the way in which most strong people of the church serve the Lord. They don't want limelight. People like me, you know, fickle people like me want limelight. But, but strong people like Brian um, want to just serve and, and want to... Um, Thank God for the service that they are able to, to do. And so I'm thankful for that. And um, I requested him very gently. I said, well, but Brian, would you let us just pray for you? And there was no response. And then, of course, um, 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 David Kim uh, looked him in the eyes and says, Brian, you have no choice. <laughs> I'm in charge here and we are praying for you. So... That's the way it happened. And so, thank you. Thank you for your witness. What a, what a, what a powerful witness of, of people like Barnabas and Andrew, uh, disciples of Jesus that did stuff in the background. And so, thank you. And I know that God has great plans for you, Brian. And, and you'll always be our family. You'll always be our family. 
We've also been praying for, um, for Dana's mom, Marty, who's here. Thank God. Let's give her a hand. and Thank, thank God for his healing touch on you, Marty. And uh, we'll just continue to pray that God will continue to, to heal you. So thank God for, for, his, um, for hearing our prayers. Uh, I usually also begin with some international news. Some, some of it is um, not very, um, 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 you know, um, serious kind of news. Some of it is not very serious news. So part of it has to do with World Cup soccer. Are you following the women's team? Uh, thankfully, I've been told that they've been given some kind of inequality, so the women are going to be paid more. At least that's what those Gulati people and others say. So, but they're, they're doing so well. It's so amazing to see our women's soccer team uh, do so well. The men also won yesterday. Um, you know, they weren't able to go to the World Cup because there's this very small place called Trinidad and Tobago that defeated the U.S. soccer team, but this time they thought that, well, we'll just pour in six goals on them. So that's what they did yesterday. I don't know if you follow all this. Do you follow all this, uh, Vladimir? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> we should be following. Well, how about World Cup cricket? So last <laughs> Sunday, <laughs> there's a game called cricket. You know, people play cricket, especially those people who are ruled by the British. They pretend to be British, and they defeat the British. So last week, India defeated Pakistan. I think that's what the British like to do, you know. We ruled over you, and now you play against each other and defeat each other. So uh, India defeated Pakistan last Sunday. Yesterday, India was almost trounced by a little-known nation called Afghanistan. They won by just 11 runs which is like, I don't know, one base. Uh, it's not even a full run, and, and that's how they, they defeated uh, Afghanistan. But I'm so happy for Afghanistan. Think about it. You know, this was a place where there was no life at all, and now they have a cricket team that's coming up against uh, big teams like England and Australia and and South Africa, and, and coming very close to defeating them. And I think that's a good thing. So um, that's as far as cricket news is concerned, and lighter news is concerned. Um, on, on the more serious note, uh, there is a lot of tension in Ethiopia. Let's, let's pray for Ethiopia. Two generals have been shot down by their own bodyguards, and... Um, so let's, let's pray for Ethiopia. Let's pray for, um, for places like, um, like Russia. And um, um, we do also want to pray for Olga. Olga is going to be going into her interview in about five, six hours' time. So let's pray that God would give grace um, in the sight of these officials and that she'll be able to come back and, and rejoin us. So in about six hours or so she'll be going into the office in Russia. Um, we also need to uh, pray for our sisters and brothers in other parts of the world. Uh, the U.S. State Department just issued a statement in which 
India has been pointed out as one of the fastest growing places for uh, where there's persecution against minorities, against Muslims, against Christians. And, and so uh, would you pray for our sisters and brothers? That will be the theme of our, um, of our time today because we are be dealing with Acts chapter 4. That is the context of my sermon today. And a lot of that has to do with worldwide opposition against uh, Christianity. Um, worldwide opposition, which, um, which is so, um, um, so crucial for us to keep in mind to pray about some of these things. 2019 World Watch list says this. More than 245 million Christians in the world are persecuted severely for their Christian faith. One in nine Christians worldwide experienced high levels of persecution. 14%, the rise in the number of Christians in the top 50 countries uh, in the 2019 World Watch list who experienced high levels of persecution so these are pretty fresh numbers. 4,136 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons in the top 50 worldwide, uh, worldwide list countries. 2,625 Christians detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned in the top 50 worldwide list countries. 1,266 churches or Christian buildings attacked in the top 50 worldwide list countries. Of course, there's, this is a long list because the list of 50 countries. North Korea has been ranked number one for the last 18 years. And a lot of our sisters and brothers are still there. We need to pray for them. Pakistan is, laid, is ranked number five on a daily basis. Of course, we don't read about this because our news media doesn't care. But our sisters and brothers, like the families of Khalid Masih and others, are um, suffering a lot. For the one woman who was released, there is hundreds of others who are imprisoned, all because they said, I believe in Jesus. And then India is ranked number 10. China, which used to be beyond 50, is now ranked number 27. And of course, we need to pray for our sisters and brothers in Hong Kong who are, who are on the streets on a daily basis saying, we need freedom. We need freedom. We don't want to be shipped to mainline China to suffer persecution. There's a lot that's going on in the world, and we need to pray for people we know. Um, in, in the same list, it talks about five realities of, um, of persecution. The first reality, according to um, Open Doors, is the shocking reality of persecution against our sisters. In 2019... Uh, it says there were shocking details about the persecution experienced by Christian women. In many places, they experience a double persecution. 
one for being a Christian and one for being a woman. Even the most restricted circumstances, gender-specific persecution is a key means of destroying the minority Christian community. This kind of persecution, the report goes on to say, is difficult to assess because it's complex, violent, and hidden. In many cultures where women are specifically targeted, it is difficult, if not impossible, to report accurate numbers. Number two, Islamic oppression continues to impact millions of Christians. And I've been to some of these countries where our sisters and brothers are being impacted on a daily basis. In seven out of, to, to, uh, of the top ten world watch list countries, the primary cause of persecution is Islamic oppression. This means for millions of Christians, particularly those who grew up Muslim or were born into Muslim families, openly following Jesus can have painful consequences. And I've seen some of our sisters and brothers go through that. They can be treated as second-class citizens, the, list, the report goes on to say, discriminated against for jobs or even violently attacked. And of course, we heard some of that from Khalid Masih and his family. Number three, the world's two most highly populated countries rise in the World Watch list. For the first time since the start of World Watch list, India has entered the top 10. Additionally, China jumped 16 spots from 43 to 27. Each of these countries is home to more than a billion people. So these trends are distressing. Hindu nationalists in India continue to attack Christians with what seems like no consequences. And in China, the increased power of the government and the rule of Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping continues to make open worship difficult in some parts of the country. And I hear that from my students who come from mainline China. The spread of radical Islam across sub-Saharan Africa, while the violent accesses of ISIS and other Islamic militants have mostly disappeared from headlines from the Middle East, their loss of territory there means that fighters have dispersed to a larger number of countries, not only in the region, but increasingly into sub-Saharan Africa. Their radical ideology has inspired or infiltrated numerous splinter groups such as Islamic State, West Africa Province, ISWAP, a deadly group that broke away from Nigeria's Boko Haram and also enslaves Christian women and girls as an integral part of their, their strategy. And number five, more laws added to control religion. Of course, Russia is experiencing that in Vietnam and Myanmar and China and North Korea. State authoritarianism is increasing in many parts of the world supported by the ever-spreading availability of personal digital technology, which governments can increasingly track through facial recognition, electronic chips, and so on. So we are living in, in a very different kind of world, and yet at the same time we know that those who believe in Jesus have been persecuted from the beginning. And that is the context of of Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. So let's, let's read this together, may we, and, 
and, and see what, what are some of the lessons that we can learn about, about issues that we are facing in our society today. So would you arise with me and let's read Acts chapter 4 uh, together. Verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power, what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and was being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified by what, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed." Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man they had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in the eyes of God to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, to the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up. 
and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what was your power and will had decided beforehand. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and bought the money and put it to the apostles' feet. Our Lord, our God, as we meditate on your word, we pray that you would indeed give us a heart of intercessory prayer to pray for our sisters and brothers who are going through so much, so much persecution, Lord, and yet your people have gone through persecution from the beginning. So, Lord, have mercy and enable us to learn lessons, lessons from your people your servants of the early church. In the name of Jesus, our risen Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, there's a lot that's packed in here, isn't it? There's a lot that's packed in here as we look at, look at this text. There are, um, there are four things that I would want us to reflect on one is what, is, what is the nature of, of Redeemer life? How do we encounter opposition is, is the question that we want to ask. I, I've been in, in communication with Pastor Peter, and, and I talked about, you know, when you all came together, what were you dreaming of? What, was, what, what did you have in mind to, uh, for, for this group of people coming together? And he sent me pictures of that, that first group of people that were together, and you talked about what was the name of of this church be, and of course the name that was chosen was Redeemer Life. So I don't know if you remember, Gina, but, but that must have been fascinating meetings. You had about a group of, uh, about 15 words or something like that, and you chose Redeemer Life with a mission. And what was the mission? And, and there's a mission statement that was, that was sent to me also, and I, I want to kind of refigure that, reconfigure the mission statement in the light of, uh, in the light of um, our um, uh, the appreciative inquiry um, uh, of of Redeemer Life, the four Ds. So here's what the mission statement 
uh, reads like, the mission of Redeemer Life is to engage with Lake County and beyond. To engage the people of Lake County, County and beyond with life-transforming encounters with the Redeemer so that they and us together will know Redeemer Life. It's transforming culture around us. Of course, it'll not be easy because, and here's what the four Ds, here's how they go like. We, we need to discover brokenness. We need to understand that we are dealing with a broken society. Why does opposition happen? Because people are broken. You know, when people look at us in an odd sort of way, when people, when people confront us with violence sometimes, or confront the church, we've got to realize that people are broken. And when people are broken, they don't know how to interact with other people. But we are also broken. So a broken church with brokenness reaches out to broken people to give people the Redeemer so that together we find Redeemer life. That is the basic context of the founding of Redeemer Life Church. The second D, to come up with a dream community with authenticity. Redeemer Life creates community out of brokenness and disjunction. Redeemer Life is an authentic community, people who live lives without masks. And that's what we will see in this text, you know, where it says that they spoke with boldness. These were broken people. And, and the community around them called them idiots. That's the word. You know, it says common men. But, but the Greek word there is, these are idiotes, from which we get the, the, the English word idiots. You know, these are people who don't have any brains. But they speak with authenticity and openness. That's where conversations begin. We don't wear masks. But we come with our brokenness and give people Jesus. So that is the second part of, of, of this 3D core value statement of Redeemer Life. The third one is to design missional strategies. Um, and missional strategies in Redeemer Life, mission strategies, evangelism, justice, and mercy kiss each other through Redeemer Life Ministries. This giving people the Redeemer through word and through deed, going with, uh, with Gina and with Emily to, to the prisons and giving people the gospel, going to the hospitals and praying for people, giving them the healing message of Jesus. That's where the needs are. The needs are to go into the Barnes and Noble, into the bookstores here with Richard and bringing healing to the people. That was what the early church did and that is the missional strategy of Redeemer Life. And the fourth one is destiny to bring about the kingdom of Redeemer here on earth. And this is Redeemer Life. Discovering our brokenness, dreaming of a community with authenticity. 
designing missional strategies that reach out to broken people, looking at keeping our eyes on the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he is the Redeemer. And only in him can we find Redeemer life. How do we do that? How do we do that? And that is what we find here very quickly in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. If you look at these words, this is so, so powerful here, right? It begins with, and they were speaking to the people. You know, something happens when we speak to the people. If you look at the rest of the, uh, the words that I use there, that is the who is who. This is like saying that the presidents of all the world and the prime ministers of all the world and the politicians and the big names of Yale University and the University of Chicago, all of these people are there together. And they're looking at you. And they're saying, do you know who you're speaking to? Do you see how... The whole, the whole um, system is stacked up against Peter and John. The system says to them, you cannot think. You're intimidated. You know, in, 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 um, in academic circles, uh, there is something that is called um, this, this system in which people that come from a minority sort of a culture are, are looked upon like, you know, do you have anything worth saying? So that's what I experienced when I first came. You know, I came fresh off the boat and I had this very, very strong Indian accent, which I still do. And, you know, all these professors will look at me and they'll smile at me because, you know, in, in Minnesotan culture, you don't, uh, you don't outright say to people, you don't have any brains. But you look at them and you smile at them and you listen to them and then you go on to the next subject. That's the way in which things are done in, in academic circles. But, but, but this is not what is happening here. Here are people who are opposing. These are the who is who of society. It's so intimidating because they're reaching out to common people. And they're saying, what? You're reaching out to common people. Come and talk to us first because we are the people who are the brains of society. We can change society. So they're annoyed. I mean, the Greek word there is a powerful word. It says, they were just beside themselves. If you, if you looked at their faces, I don't know what kind of faces would they have. They would probably be red and they would be steamy with a froth coming out of their mouth and, and all that. So, but it's okay. It's okay for those kinds of people to be annoyed. That should not intimidate us. It's okay when people are violently seized. That's what happens to Peter and John. I mean, in English, you know, we, in English language, we kind of put it in very mundane kind of words. The Greek words are stark words. It says, they violently seized them and showed them, we will show you your place, you fellows. It's okay to be accused of being an imposter. This is the who is who. They seize them. But then look at what also happens here. They accuse them of becoming a part of the inter-Nicene 
struggle between people. They talk about this thing called resurrection. Okay? So these are the Sadducees. The Sadducees were very secular people. The Sadducees were in control of the temple. The chief priest was a Sadducee, Annas, and he had paid the highest bribe to the Roman authorities and to the governor so that he would become the, the, the chief priest. Uh, and, and there were other people under him who had taken control of the society. But then there were the other people, and they called the Pharisees. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. Whereas the Pharisees talked about resurrection, although they, they really didn't know what they were talking about. And the strategy here was to let these people called Peter and John, the people of the church, the followers of Jesus, to become a part of this internecine struggle. And Peter and John says, say to each other and to them, we're not going to get caught in that. I think that's a very, very important lesson for us to keep in mind because whenever there is opposition, there is a tendency for the church to get caught up in the agendas of the world. When you and I get caught up in the agendas of the world, that's where we will lie. And Jesus will be held into the background. Jesus will not be in the fore. The gospel will not be in the fore. So these people want them to get caught up in this struggle. But notice what else happens. In verse 3 it says, They seize them, and they put them in custody. But many of those who heard the world, the word of God, they believed. These were people regular people who believed. So opposition will be there. Opposition will be there, but the regular people. In Greek, the word is laos, which means regular hillbilly people. The people in the marketplace, the people who are in those malls, the people who are in the streets of Chicago. Those are the kinds of people who have always believed in Jesus. They believed. And that bothered these people who were who were the who is who in society. So look at what else happens. Verse 7 says, um, When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Crucial questions. I think we, we need to come to a place where the opposition will inevitably ask the crucial questions. Because you're left with no other course but to ask the crucial questions. And what are the questions? The question is, by what power, by what name do you do this? And that's where the issue should lie. Not in internecine or political or, or struggles that are, that are mundane struggles that will keep you down there. Because what you find here, uh, them asking, is the crucial question of power. The, the power that, that Jesus had. So let me read you, read you a few of these texts. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. 
Luke chapter 4 and verse 36. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, to evil spirits, and they come out. Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus. Luke chapter 6 and verse 19, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them. Luke chapter 8 and verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone from from me. This is when the lady came and touched his garments and she was healed. Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 24. I think that's a crucial question, right? When people look at us and they say, there's something about you. This is beyond my thinking. This is beyond my mental ability and my ability to understand. The second question is about the name. You know, the question of the name has been there from the beginning. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 11, there was this incident of the Tower of Babel? Do you know what was happening there? They wanted to make a name for themselves. That means they wanted to declare themselves to be divine. So they were erecting this thing called the ziggurat. And then as the narrative goes on and on, God says to to Abraham, no, I will put my name upon you, Abraham, so that in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That is called the Abrahamic covenant that is made. So I should be careful not to drop these things here. As you go on further, you find the same narrative as it goes on. In Exodus chapter 3, there is this guy called Moses who sees this burning bush that's burning up, and yet it's not burning up. And, And God's voice comes from the bush and says, Moses, I've got something for you to do. I know you're 80 years old, but you've got to do something. Moses says to God, when I go to the people, what should I tell them your name is? And God says, my name is I am who I am. Go and tell this to the people. And so you find this narrative go on and on and on, and you come to the New Testament. This name is the powerful name of Jesus. And so you'll find the disciples, are, are they don't veer away into different kinds of places or that, that the rest of the world wants them to go into. But they stick with this one thing. They say, silver or gold I do not have, but what do I have? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that's what they say to the people in Acts chapter 4 and verse 10. They say, in the, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this person, this man stands before you and he is healed. Thirdly, it comes by transparency. Transparency, which leads to boldness and audacity. People like Peter and James, who are so, so very scared, come before this group of people and give the gospel. 
we also need to realize that it's okay for the world to think that we don't have any brains. You find that the apostles will constantly say to the people, don't you know that you were nobodies? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 30, brothers and sisters, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many influential. Not many were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. In, in, the, in, in the church in Philippi, people were beginning to think that there was somebody. And Paul looks at them and says, no, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. Look at Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. It's okay to be nothing. It's okay to be weak. Because God has always taken the weak to use people that are weak for his own purposes. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, Jesus says to the people, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Finally, as these people looked at Peter and John, they knew this one thing, and that was they knew that they had been with Jesus. I think that's so powerful, isn't it? I wish people, when they look at me, would know that I don't have my PhD from Trinity. I don't have this learning at, 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 in, in one of those high schools, in high-caste high schools in, in New Delhi. But people would just see Jesus. That's what they saw. They knew that they had been with Jesus. And that's the question that I'd want us to ask ourselves as we face opposition. And we will. We will, believe me. Maybe not the kind that people are facing in China and Pakistan and in Congo and in Somalia and in Eritrea and in Pakistan and in India, maybe not like that, but the people of God has, have always faced opposition. I wonder if they would look at us and they would say, but these people look just like Jesus. I want to end with this illustration. On Wednesday, I went to see a movie in a theater very nearby. It's a movie called Emmanuel. And the sad thing is that I was there with a whole bunch of African-American people, largely women, right here. There were two white men there and three white women. The rest were all African-American. Why? Because it was a movie about a church where African-American people were gathered for prayer 
and to study God's word. And a white man, a white supremacist, 21-year-old, came and shot nine of them to death. They had welcomed them in. They had welcomed him in and said, come, pray with us, study the Bible with us. And while they were praying, he shot nine of them. And I was there in tears while these African-American sisters and brothers of mine were in tears. And you know what was the message of the story? 48 hours after the families of the people went in for this arraignment of this man who was finally captured, the judge did the unthinkable thing. He said, do you have something to say to this man who has been arraigned? And there was quietness. And then one of them said, you took my mother away. I loved her so much. She was my life. But do you know, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. One after another, one after another, all nine of the people that were shot to death, the, the son of one, the, the brother of one, the husband of one, they all said the same thing. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I forgive you. So powerful, isn't it? May we be like those people. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we partake of your body and your blood, we pray, O oh Lord, that you'd enable us to know, to know what it is to suffer for you, to know what it is to be a witness in the midst of persecution. Lord, give us the courage. Give us the courage to be Jesus where we are. And forgive us for the times when people, when they see us, don't see Jesus, but they see ourselves. They see our haughtiness. They see our... Um, our pride, the sea, our, our beingness. Oh, Lord, enable us to be Jesus to the society, to the society around us.